How are we doing this morning? We're doing good? Doing well? Hey, it's snowing out. It's, it's beautiful, right? It's Christmas season. How can you not be doing well during the Advent season? Hey, I just got a couple things I want to cover quickly. Um, we have a really, really helpful family Advent packet. I guess that's the way to describe it. If you have kids in the home or a very immature husband, you can totally take this and get a lot out of it. It's very, it's very fun, and there's a lot of good insight in there. And a lot of thought went into this, too. So you can grab that. Please, out these back doors, just to the left, please take that. Um, we know that Megan put a lot of work into that. We also have a Christmas program next week. It's one service, and the kids have been working hard on this, and it's great. You hear the Christmas story. You get to hear all the elements that go into the, just one of, the, one of the best times of the year where we celebrate the birth of our, our Savior, Jesus Christ. I'd also like to introduce our speaker today, Jeff Hazard, if you'd like to come up. He is a missionary in Kenya, Rift Valley. What's the actual location called? Kajabi. Kajabi. Kajabi, Kenya, at the Rift Valley Academy. And a couple years ago, my son and I went down and visited him, yeah. and they took us all over. And honestly, I never seen more zebra than when I was in Kenya. <laughs> they were like deer there. It's true. One of my, one of my fun moments is that I tried to chase, because they're, they're just, they kind of hang out. I wanted to chase a zebra down and just slap it on its backside. So we, we really tried to coordinate that. So Jeff, Jeff's good sport. He was like, I think I can make that happen. I hit out on the back of his... Uh, My truck. Your truck. We drove close to the zebra. I jumped off and just ran as fast as I could to get to that zebra. Unfortunately, it took off by the time I got close. He, he, he warned me. He says they look like they're slow, but they're not. They're actually very fast, and you'll never get one. But I tried. It's true. I, it was a great time seeing his ministry and seeing where he serves. And so Jeff said here in the States, he'll talk a little bit about that. And we want to hand it over to him. But I'd, I'd like to pray first for you and your wife and your family. Sure. We know that it's fun to be home for Christmas. Yeah? It is. It is. It is. Especially when you are leaving some kids here. We are. Yeah. Now, two now you're leaving? Two. two. And so, obviously, that weighs on a family, but at least you get to spend Christmas, have some traditions and some fun memories this season. So we want to pray for you. Father, we just pray for the hazards. We pray as they are spending Christmas together as a family. We pray that it can just be full of great memories and just a... Just a a warm, warm home, but warm hearts, and that they can feel blessed having that time together. Father, we just pray that as they gear up and get ready to go back to the mission field, we pray that they can get everything in order and that they can just have a, a really, like, just a lot of all the details and logistics can just fall into place and just a lot of traveling mercies. Father, they can get to where they need to go quickly, and now we pray as they gear up for their next semester of teaching. Father, we pray you can just give them favor in the classroom and that they can have a lot of insight and good direction as they are preparing to teach students. And I just pray also that just their, their location and their place that they, they minister in Kenya. We just pray that they can just have a lot of, 
a lot of insight and just can bless the churches that they bless and the communities they bless as, as serving there in Rift Valley. So we just pray that you just give them a lot of a lot of that 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 just favor and and fill with the Holy Spirit work in Kenya. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Jeff. <clears throat> it was fun watching Nate run after those zebra. <laughs> it was even more fun telling him, "No, you were really close. Let's try it again. <laughs> Let's try one more time. You were really close." It was an exercise in futility, and he just kept doing it. It was great. It was fun. Like Nate said, um, we are Jeff and Joy Ellen Hazard. We are one of your mission partners. We've been serving in Kenya for the last 22 years. Uh, we serve at Rift Valley Academy. Rift Valley Academy is a boarding school for mainly missionary children, but anyone in ministry and really anyone who can get into our school, if they can make it to us because we are, we're outside the city. We kind of live out in the country, I guess you'd say. Um, so we're not a day school. We're a boarding school. We have about 500 students, like I said. There's 25 different nationalities represented in our school, about 70 different mission organizations, and I don't know, about 35 or so African nations represented where people are in ministry somewhere on the continent of Africa, and they send their kids to us for education while they're um, doing the ministry that God's called them to. Uh, we've been there, I said, for like 22 years. We've done everything from dorm parents to teachers to administration. Uh, currently, my wife teaches third grade. She's an elementary teacher, does a phenomenal job with those little kids. Um, I am not a little kid person, so hats off to her. Uh, she had an amazing year last year with 13 boys in her class and one girl. So they had some bonding times. She had one poor little girl with 13 boys. Um, I currently teach woodshop. When you teach at a missionary boarding school, you kind of like the little boy, the Dutch boy sticking his finger in the hole to stop the leak, so you just do whatever you got to do. So right now I'm teaching woodshop. I've taught government, taught Bible, taught uh, just about everything except home ec. So it's the only thing I haven't taught yet. Maybe next year. We'll see. Um, this season, Advent, is one of my favorite. I, love, I was so excited when, when Nate called and said, hey, could you guys come and speak and share, take the service, um, and how about you come during Advent? I was like, perfect. I love this time of year. This is my favorite time. Decorations, colors. Um, normally, red and green are my colors of choice in the Christmas season, but this time of year, this year particularly, as for me and my house, blue and maize will be our Christmas colors. <laughs> I don't know if you saw that game last night. That was a severe whooping on Iowa. Um, it was fun to watch them try and try to score and just get nothing. So it was a lot of fun. I felt bad for a little bit, but I felt bad for feeling so good. But anyway, it was fun. Um, <clears throat> yeah, <laughs> Michigan. Nate told me I had to talk about Michigan because he loves Michigan. He says normally he brings into every service. So I said, don't worry, I got you covered. I don't know that we'll sing the fight song today, but we could, we could, but anyway. <laughs> uh, this morning I want to look at Advent, and we're going to focus on um, three parts of Advent. We, we start with remembrance, and then expectation, which then leads us to hope, and then we're going to kind of camp out on hope for a little while, that's where we'll spend most of our time. First, I want to jump into Scripture. Turn with me in your copy of God's Word, whether it be digital or print or whatever you have. We're going to be in Hebrews today. 
will be mainly Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, but we're going to back up a little bit just to kind of give us some context. We're going to start in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 32. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 32. But remember the former days. When after being enlightened, you entered a great conflict of suffering, partly by being made public spectacle through reproaches and tribulations, and partly by becoming sharers with those who were so treated. For you showed sympathy to the one. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. For you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what was promised. For yet in every... For in a very little while, he who is coming will come and will not delay. But my righteousness, one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink back to destruction, but those who have faith to the persevering of our soul. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by the men of old gained approach and approval. we talk about Advent, I love this season. There are two types of people when it comes to Christmas time. Those who celebrate Christmas early, like anytime you want, like the stores, like what, right after thanks or Halloween, you start pulling out Christmas stuff. Maybe that's you. Turn on Christmas. My daughter loves to listen to Christmas tunes all year long. It drives me crazy. <clears throat> and then there's those who are not until Thanksgiving ends. I'm a not until Thanksgiving ends guy. I don't want to have Christmas music around because I want to like, it's its own season. It's not like just all year. It's got to be special. So we wait till, till Thanksgiving. And that's because when I grew up, that's what we did. We had this time, Thanksgiving, as soon as it was over, we'd pack everything up, put it away. The next day we were out in the field cutting down a tree. We'd tie that thing to the top of our car like we just got a trophy buck or something and we're driving home for everyone to see. We'd set it up in the living room, put all the lights on it, and then this crazy thing started to happen. I don't know if every house did this. I hope not because it was insane. <clears throat> every single thing on a wall, on a hook, on a nail, every single thing on a shelf, on a table, on a bureau, whatever it was, if it was a knickknack or something, it was all put away and replaced, not just put away, it was replaced with something Christmas. And we had a lot of knickknacky things around. So if you can imagine, if you walked into Santa's workshop, that's what our house looked like. Kind of like Christmas just threw up all over the place. I loved it. It was awesome. <clears throat> but my parents were careful not to make sure that we forgot what the season was about. <clears throat> I mean, we had all of the, all the Santas and snowmen. I'm not, I'm not a, I know some people, maybe this is you. Some people are like, yeah, it's a pagan holiday, Santa spelled it wrong. It's a Satan, just... It's, I, I don't, that stuff doesn't bother me. We were careful to make sure we preserved what, what Christmas was all about, what our expectation was on. And it's the last thing we would take out. My mom had this huge box that had this nativity set that she'd made. It was all ceramic figurines that she'd painted. And it some, I don't know, they baked them. They were really fancy. Like she did a nice job. But it was huge. I mean, the figurines were this tall. And she'd pull out this massive barn, stall, stable, We'd put out straw, 
And it wasn't even chronologically correct because everybody was there. The kings were there, the shepherds were there, the angels were there, the little drummer boy was there, all the animals, everyone was there. We had all kinds, of, remember brothers and I would, would stick in little figurines from other places just to see if mom would notice, but G.I. Joes were there, you name it. it was all, everybody came for Christmas. But that was like the centerpiece of all of our stuff. It was on the desk in the living room. We'd clear the whole thing off because you need the whole top to set this thing up. There were so many pieces. It was amazing. I loved it. It's my favorite time of year. That created expectation. And it brought us back to remembering what Christmas is all about. So when we think about Advent, it's a time of remembering. And what are we remembering? Well, we have to go back all the way back to Genesis to remember why we celebrate what we celebrate. All the way back to the very beginning, when Adam and Eve decided in the garden at one point that they no longer needed God. They could do life on their own. God was keeping something from them to, to keep them from experiencing life at its fullest, and they were going to get that at any cost. Well, when they got what they thought they wanted, it created a separation between them and God. That exists today. Even that idea that we don't need God, we can do whatever we want, and we can do it on our own, still exists today. We still battle with that every single day. All of us do. So all the way back to the beginning, that's where that started. From that moment, God set in place a plan. He says, I'm going to restore this relationship between creation and me, the relationship that we broke. God set in plan a motion, or set in motion a plan that was going to repair that. <clears throat> and then throughout history, brought us to the point where he came on earth. And if we look at Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, it says, for, God, for unto us a child is born, to us a Savior is given. The government will be upon his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. From that moment forward, there were all kinds of prophecies leading up to who the Messiah was going to be, what the Messiah was going to be. He was going to come as a king, he was going to come uh, as a ruler, he was going to come and, and save the people is going to be the, the savior of mankind, <clears throat> but at that, until that point, he never said who that Messiah was going to be, and Israel was looking for all kinds of signs of who that Messiah would be. They're looking at for who the people around them, what, what king was it going to be, what ruler was it going to be, who was going to be lifted up and exalted as this king, <clears throat> and it wasn't until that point when God said, I'm coming. My plan is for me to come, and I'm going to come as a child and I'm going to live among you, and I'm going to restore this relationship through the sacrifice of my son. That's what we remember. That's what the season is all about. And that remembering then creates expectation because we're living in kind of two worlds right now. We live with one foot in the remembrance world. We remember what God has done when he sent his son to live and die and, and be the savior of the world. So we remember that time of season, but we also live with a foot in the world of expectation. Because he, he's coming again. He said, I'll be back. We don't know when, but we're expecting it. The challenge is expectations. We all have them. We live with expectations all the time. Our, our, our being is kind of wired to expect the next best thing. The newest iPhone, the newest game, the latest Taylor Swift album to drop. The latest Marvel album or Marvel movie to come out. We're waiting for something bigger and better. We're waiting for our circumstances to change. We're waiting for something better to come along. That we're always waiting for the next. Even when we're in the middle of something good, we're waiting for something better. And we're just wired that way. So our expectations, though, 
are broken. When expectations are unmet, we find ourselves frustrated, find ourselves upset, angry, disappointed. I'd say all of life's frustration is a product of unmet expectations. Think about that. We have expectations all the time. Right now, if you're a student, what are you expecting? What's the next thing you're looking forward to? Christmas break. Yeah? It's coming. Get out of school for a few weeks, no homework, no tests. Parents, what are you looking forward to most? Christmas vacation to end. Everybody goes back to school. All right? Get out of the house. Go back to school. All right? Uh, expectations. Think about it. TGIF. What does that mean? Thank goodness it's Friday. We're always looking for the weekend. The week's okay, but the week is work. We have the weekend. It's better. How about Michigan weather outside? I love this weather, by the way. I apologize if you don't like the snow. Uh, my children don't get to see this stuff very often. We're only back here every three, four years. They pray for this stuff. So my children have been praying. So I'm, I'm sorry if, this is, if you hate this stuff, if it's just sloppy and mess. But if you don't like Michigan weather, what do you do? Wait five minutes, right? It'll change. Rain, snow, who knows? So expectations, we have them, but oftentimes they're broken. <clears throat> what I want to do today is when we look at expectations and how expectations lead us towards hope, that hopefully, if our hope is in the right place, it can redeem expectation. Our expectations aren't necessarily a bad thing, but when they're put in the wrong place, based off our hope being in the wrong place, then we end up with frustration. <clears throat> Expectations that are set in the wrong place lead to glimpses of happiness. Hope in the right place we know leads to joy. But if we don't do that properly, we end up with just this fleeting glimpse of happiness. We're excited. I love Christmas. I love presents. I love the expectation of presents. Right? I love the idea of you know, something's wrapped up. You don't know what's in it. You tear it open. <clears throat> but the next morning, yeah. Just something, something I have now, all right, that I didn't have before. It might even be broken. I don't know. If you're a parent, you're disappointed because the thing you bought for your kid they thought they loved, it was really the box that it came in that they loved to play with. That's more exciting, all right? You could have saved so much money if you just gave them a box. All right. But <clears throat> I want to talk about hope. This is where we're going to spend most of our time. Our expectations come out of where we place our hope, Okay. And if our expectations are broken, it's probably because our hope is placed in the wrong place. Now, <clears throat> when I said I love presents, and there's two types of family, those who like to do Christmas early, those wait till Thanksgiving, when it comes to presents, there's also two types of families. There's those that are like, you can wait till Christmas morning to open your gifts. That was my family. My mom would say, you waited all year, one more night's not going to kill you. Well, you never know. I'm, I could die tonight and not get any of my presents, so... She did know, and it didn't happen. But <clears throat> then there's those who are like, well, you can open one gift on Christmas Eve. That was my wife's family. It drove me crazy when we first got married. She wanted to open a gift on Christmas Eve. I'll tell you now, she won. Our kids opened a Christmas, a gift, a Christmas present on Christmas Eve. I liked our tradition because it created hope and expectation and anticipation. And you were rewarded for waiting. And I thought, well, yours is weak. You've waited all year. and You can't wait 12 more hours to sleep. You have to open one early? Ah, but I realized she was also creating hope. They get that one present, and every year it's the same thing. 
On Christmas Eve, our kids would open, maybe you do this too, pajamas, yeah? Or maybe socks. It was pajamas in our house. But it created hope because our kids were like, I hope it gets better than this. It's got to get better than this. Come on, mom. Pajamas again. So she was creating hope just in a different way. Anyhow, <clears throat> so when we, when we have our hope set on the wrong thing, it creates expectations that are broken. We're going to look at four different ways that we place our hope in wrong things. There's a book that Tim Keller wrote called uh, Counterfeit Gods. And if you haven't read it, I recommend it. Um, if you have read it, great, you know what I'm talking about. We're going to really kind of gloss over it. It's, it's a decent-sized book, and we're going to gloss over this, so I'm not giving you the comprehensive rundown on counterfeit gods. But in that book, Tim Keller talks about all of these idols that we have in our lives. He calls them surface idols. And those are things like time, money, um, attention, uh, whether it's maybe gadgets, all these things that we kind of grasp for in life that we become idols to us, things that are really important to our lives. But all of those surface idols, no matter what they are, those are the kind of things that we deal with, sort of like symptoms of an illness, right? Those are all the symptoms. We can kind of focus on those things, but really what's going on is something underneath, something deeper. And he calls those source idols. Those are like gods with a little g, all right? So we have these source idols, and there's four of them, acceptance, comfort, control, and power. And all of those surface idols feed out of those four source idols underneath, and they're, like I said, they're gods with little g. Because what ends up happening is those become so important to us, they replace God in our lives. Like I said, back in the fall, we have this tendency to say, God, I don't need you. I can do this on my own. Well, that's what these idols are doing. That's, that's where those gods that we go to, I don't care who you are. If you are brand new, this is the first time you've walked in the doors of this church today, or you've been here for 30 years, way back when it was called 300 years, when it was called Mona Shores Baptist Church. And you sit in the same seat, the same pew, same row for that entire time. I'm a product of Lakeside Baptist. I don't know if you know Lakeside down the road. We used to sit about halfway back in Lakeside in the same pew every single week, our entire family. My grandparents, my aunts and uncles, my parents took up the whole row. We were there forever. All right? And it doesn't matter if you're new the first time or if you've been here for 100 years. You have a God in your life that you've anchored your hope to. And it's either going to be the one true God or it's going to be a false God. Left to ourselves, we'll always choose a false God, an idol. Right? We don't naturally gravitate towards God, the one true God. It's our broken, sinful nature. That's why we all do it. I want to take a look at those four. So we're going to kind of spend the bulk of our time. And we're going to look at... Um, Kind of get the 10,000-foot fly over those. When I talk about hope and anchoring a hope in something, um, there's things that we hope for. All right? And I'll give you an example, kind of a broken hope example. I love hunting. I don't get to do it very often because we live overseas, and frankly, it's illegal in Kenya. I could go to jail if I tried hunting. So I don't get to hunt very often. So I only get to do this every four years or so, three years when I come back to the States, and we happen to be here in the fall, and it's deer season, and I get to go hunting. This is one of those years. I have the opportunity to come back, be in the woods. I love the anticipation of thinking about this, this monster buck that I've not seen yet, but I'm sure it's out there. <clears throat> it will come along one day. But I have this anticipation 
It's going to come around the corner once, and then I'll be there, and I'll be ready. And I dream about this, and I prepare for it, and I'm studying the weather, and I'm studying the wind, and, you know, what's the latest, greatest trend of how you can hunt, how you can get up in the tree and stay invisible, and all these things. I love that. And I've been talking about this for years. My wife is not a hunter. She's a planner. She's our planner. It's great. She sets our schedule. She does all the stuff for us, which is wonderful. I'm not gifted in that way, shape, or form at all. If it was up to me, I'd be late to everything if I even made it there at all. She plans all of our stuff. She got on the schedule, the calendar, right away. We knew we were coming back. She put appointments on the calendar. She put meetings with people that we had to get together with, churches we're going to speak at, places we needed to be. And it started to fill up fast. What filled up first? Beginning of October. Middle of November. If you know anything about deer season, opening day of bow season, opening day of gun season. It's like sacred holidays for hunters. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. This was painful. I was so, my expectations were so high that I was going to get something awesome this year. I was expecting that I would have at least a month of sitting in the woods just by myself. It didn't happen. I was upset. I was angry. And I took it out on my wife. I lashed out. I was like, how could you possibly do this to me? I've been talking about this for years. She handled me really well. I did not handle the situation well. She handled me very well. Dear, why didn't you just tell me what the dates were you wanted and I'd work around them? I hadn't thought of that. <laughs> Mainly because I knew what they were and then therefore you should know what they are. My expectation was that you would know. I've been talking about them for so long. You should just know these things. Not only are our expectations sometimes poor, they're unrealistic. How is she going to know these things? I have no idea how, but I expected her to. Right? And I was frustrated. The Lord has taught me many lessons through that time, and I still have nothing in my freezer. But the season's not over. I still have time. I still have time. My hopes were to get out into the woods. My expectation was my wife would understand that. I had my hope in the wrong place. My expectations were unmet. Right, we find this all the time in life. Hope and expectations are not the same thing. All right? They're different. And you can look at it like this, like sports. Um, I hope that the Lions will make it to the Super Bowl. Eight and three, they're not doing too bad. We got a chance. Do I expect them to win on Thanksgiving? No, we never do. They always lose. Never expect that. Next year, we're heading into an election cycle. Oh, isn't that fun? You ready for yard signs and commercials and everyone getting all upset? All right, it's going to be fun. <clears throat> we're heading into an election cycle. I hope the country will turn around. Do I expect Joe Biden or Trump or anyone else to be able to do that? No. Not a chance. I hope and my expectations are different. Expectations are set on our experiences our past experiences, and then our projected trajectory, where we sing, see things possibly going. Expectations are set on kind of what we know and what we've seen and where we expect things to go. Hope is different. Hope is set on kind of more bigger picture things, things that we really want to have happen. Right? But if we put that in the wrong place, our, our hope becomes a love. I went to Hope College. Hope College is kind of symbol as an anchor love that they use the anchor with hope, all right? We'll talk about that a lot today. We're going to anchor our hope, a little side story. 
Nate said, we're here dropping off one of our kids in, in college. I've got one daughter who's at Hope. Wonderful, wonderful daughter. Love her. My other one's at Calvin. We dropped her off there. We're still talking, but not much. I did get her a Christmas present. It's a Hope sweatshirt, but <clears throat> we'll, get, we'll get her there. Anyway. I love this idea, though, that, that this, this anchor of hope. Right? And we're going to take today this idea of anchor. We have an anchor of our hope, and we put it on something. Right? So one of the first four things we're going to look at is comfort. If we take our anchor of hope and we put it in comfort, and that's where we are hoping life will be, our goal in life is to just be comfortable, right? to avoid stress, to avoid anxiety. <clears throat> our comfort becomes the only asset that we really want in life. We value pleasure and freedom. Others around us often become an obstacle to that sometimes. This, is, this kind of hits home for me. I am, if I'm left to myself, I will anchor myself to comfort. I love things to be easy and go well. Um, my tendency is to, to take the easier, but I, love, I, like, I like to work hard on certain things that I like to do. I don't like to work hard on things that people tell me to do. Uh, I'd rather me tell me what to do and then work hard at that. But we end up with these expectations that life is going to be comfortable and people get in the way because they have expectations of us, things that we should do. And we desire uh, life to just kind of go along smoothly. Problem is, comfort doesn't give what it's promised. We're expected things to go well, and they just don't. Life just doesn't work out that way. Life isn't comfortable all the time. It's going to have problems. God created us to be creative and productive and fruitful. And if we don't choose to follow that, our broken, sinful nature causes us just to be frustrated all the time. Maybe approval is where you set your anchor of hope. Maybe it's how people view you. If it's love and acceptance that you're looking for, that's where you set your anchor. That gives you meaning in life. The problem is that's not necessarily a bad thing in the sense that we're created for relationships. God designed us to be in relationship with one another. So it's not a bad thing to be liked by people. But when that becomes your only thing is to be liked by people, then it becomes a problem. If your security in who you are and your significance in this life and your value in life comes out of what other people think of you and not necessarily what God thinks of you, then it's a problem. So if, if acceptance and approval is where we set our anchor of hope, we're going to be frustrated. Because people are going to let you down. Maybe you find yourself, you're on, on social media and you're checking, you post something and in seconds you want to see, well, who's like that? Well, who didn't like that? Why didn't they like that? Maybe they don't like me. Maybe they don't like anything about me. They hate me. Wow, you've just gone off the rails from a picture you put out online. It's crazy. But that's what we do. We, we're, we're so intent on getting acceptance from other people that becomes all that, we, all that we look for. We go to any lengths to please other people. The problem is when we do this, we end up smothering those around us. Right? We try so hard to grasp for that acceptance that we end up pushing people away. And then we grasp even more and we push them farther away. And we end up kind of creating our own problem and our own second. We can't figure out what the problem is and it's us. 
We end up being disappointed. So again, the promises that approval offers doesn't come. Maybe it's control for you. Maybe if you drop your anchor hope on control, that's where you land, when you're left to yourself. Control leads to a life of constant worry. If we're not in control, we're worried that things are going to get out of order. Things aren't going to go well. We get stuck in this cycle of grasping for control. We find out we've lost it. We get worried. Because we're worried, we try to get more control. And then we lose it. And then we try to get, we get worried and we get more. It's this cycle of grasping for control and worry and disappointment all the time. And it doesn't stop. We hate uncertainty and spontaneity because you can't control those things. We end up being helicopter parents. We wrap our kids in bubble wrap. We send them down to the playground. That's a plastic playground wrapped in bubble wrap, covered by plastic wood chips. Not even wood chips, it's tire chips. Because if they fall, they might bounce. Because we're worried about what might happen if our kids should trip and fall. And then we turn our back, and our kids are the one picking the gum off the bottom of the seat and chewing on ah, You can't control that. Ah. We were in Rockford. We live in, in Rockford. Well, just outside Rockford. There was a playground that our kids' school was at. Or the school our kids were at years ago. They had a playground that was closed down and roped off because it was one of those old, like it was a pirate ship, but it was big wooden timbers with metal poles. And it was like it was a toxic waste zone or something. And they had it all roped off. Nobody could get in there until they tore it down and replaced it with plastic. Everything had to be plastic and soft. Good grief. Anyway. Try to control everything. When we try to control our circumstances and our lives, and then we end up overstretching that, and we try to control everyone else around us. Because right? anything that's out of control is a bad thing. And again, it just leads into this cycle. We get frustrated, high stress, worry, anxiety, because we can't control everything around us. Or maybe you're the fourth one. You're the power when we set your anchor of hope on power, the only thing you desire is power. It's another form of control. It's usually manifested in people who drive for success, winning, influence over others. You're willing to bear any burden at any cost. Your motto might be, I got this. Let me do it. Get out the way. If you're not going to do it right, let me do it. Everything in life becomes a competition. But the goal is not winning the goal is not losing. I will not lose at any cost. It destroys relationships, jobs, families. Competition done right can be a good thing. I mean, come on, look at Michigan. It's done right. It's a good thing. Right? But if that becomes your only thing, is not losing, then it becomes a problem. Your greatest fear is a person who might humiliate you in any kind of form of humiliation. Anyone who looks like they might get an edge over you becomes the enemy. Taken to the extreme, a person who anchors their hope on power can become a violent person. Because we will not lose at any cost. We'll not be humiliated at any cost. You might look at those and say, I'm not one of those. I'm like three of those. That's all right. That happens. In different circumstances, you might be one thing. 
In one situation, you might be another thing. It might be a mix of all those. Maybe it's just one that you really gravitate towards. But left to ourselves, we'll go one of those four places. We will anchor our hope on approval, power, control, or comfort. I'm a control and comfort guy. That's where my, my heart tends to go. Uh, Nate pointed out in the first service, if you aren't sure where you go, ask your spouse. They'll tell you. Ask your, ask your kids. They'll tell you. Ask your neighbor, ask your coworker, ask your boss. It's, it's sometimes obvious to other people who, where we go. It's not always obvious where we go because we think, I don't go any of those. <laughs> I'm great. No, not true. Left to ourselves, we're going to go somewhere. We're going to anchor our hope on something. There's always a God in your life. Right, something that you're slave to, that you will give yourself anything in your life for. It's either going to be the one true God, intentionally we go there, or it's going to be something else left to ourselves, one of those four. <clears throat> when we look back at Scripture, pointed out earlier, God gave us 300 prophecies, over 300 prophecies, saying, this is my plan, this is what's going to happen. He laid out for us how he was going to come, he was going to return, he was going to be born, he was going to die on a cross. Every one of those prophecies then has been fulfilled. We can go back to Scripture, every single one, and you can see where God's been faithful. When I said expectations are set on experience, that's, that's the experience, the past experience that I'm talking about. That's the past experience where we want to set our expectations. This is what God has promised to do. People will let you down. Companies will let you down. Money will let you down. Finances will let you down. Whatever it is, we're expecting, some, expecting something to happen or something better, a change in our circumstances, it's, you're always going to find frustration. But when you put our expectations in what God said is going to happen, it doesn't matter anything else when we lose control, anything else around us. We experience what's then is true joy. When we set expectations on little things like Christmas presents, oh, it's fun. I love the excitement of what's going to be inside the box or inside the present, and it's great. And then it's pajamas. And the next day it just becomes another pair of pajamas that I throw in my drawer, and that's it. It doesn't last very long. It's this this fleeting glimpse of happiness. It doesn't last very long. But when our expectations are in Christ, we know that no matter how tough things get, We'll experience true joy. It's not fleeting happiness. It's true joy. Even when things are difficult. That's how Paul can say, I count it all joy when things go wrong. All suffering can be counted joy. How is that even possible? I'm going to share a story in a minute of what that looks like. So when expectations set in the wrong place can be ineffective and lead to disappointment, I want to point out when we put our hope in the one true God, our expectations can be redeemed. God's given us this picture, this plan, and he said he's going to return. We have our expectations in that. And now we know when we look forward and God says, I will come back, we already know what he's done in the past. So our trajectory moving forward, we know where this is going to go. So we can put our expectations in that, and our hope is on that, that Christ will return, and God will do what he says. He's going to redeem this world. All things will be made new. So all the frustration that we deal with in life, 
all the brokenness that we deal with in life, all the corrupt issues we see in life, that's all going to be made new. And it's not going to be done by any efforts that we do. It's all going to be done by God. Let me close with this story. I said we work at Riff Valley Academy. Riff Valley Academy is a boarding school for missionary, mainly missionary kids. Um, my wife and I had the opportunity this, earlier this year to go visit some of the families of the students that come to our school. We got to go to their home, into their cities, the towns where they work and they live, and meet the people that they work with. Um, they work in some really, really dark places, um, places that have no hope. The people that they work with are people who have unmet expectations. They've put their hope in a false god, and they've met nothing but frustration. Their hope is anchored to a God that says, I will love you if you do this. You want to be loved by me? Follow this, this prescription right here. Don't screw up. If you screw up, you're out. And their entire lives is just striving, striving, striving to get the acceptance that they want from God. To get the love that they think they're going to get for God and then eventually think they're going to get into heaven some way. And we know that that's not the way it works. God says it doesn't, it's nothing you can do. In fact, in the Old Testament, he told us, if you want that, here's 600 laws. Good luck. We couldn't do it. He says, there's nothing you can do that's going to make me love you more than I do already. Stop striving. We got to be in these homes and meet these families that their burden for these people is so great. They have a hope and a joy that they know, and they walk into these towns and cities and villages and see these people just living in desperation with hopelessness. And we felt it. We were there. We saw it. We met these people. And they have smiles on their faces. Don't we? Everyone's not walking around just, oh, life is horrible. But there's no joy in their life. They have no, they have no source of any kind of joy. Anything they experience is just the mi smallest, minute amount of happiness that just goes away. It's gone. There's nothing that leads to a, a lasting joy that they can say, I've got my anchor of hope on a God who is bigger than anything else in the world, who has promised me over and over again that I can't do this on my own, that it's only through God's gift of salvation. It's a free gift. I don't have to do anything to earn it. Just accept it. It's all I have to do is accept it. And yet they're blind to it. So these families... They, they give them all their time, all their effort, all their resources to just get that message into people's hearts and hands and heads and hopefully see hearts change. It's nothing we can do. Obviously, it's only God's work we can do. But without hearing that message, nothing's going to change. This week, there's three things I want us to do. One, be honest with yourself. Examine your own heart. Spend some time in prayer identifying what are those underlying source idols, those small g gods where we, left to ourselves, will anchor our hope. Is it comfort? Is it approval? Is it control? Is it power? Is it a mix of two, three, four of those? What is it that we tend to go to? And what do I need to give up to move away from that and put my anchor of hope on God, the one true God? And the last thing is, who do I need to identify in my life who needs to hear this message of hope? 
I hope that I have. When we're told, always be prepared with an answer. When asked, what is the hope you have? Who do I need to share this with? Who needs to hear this? Who doesn't have joy in their life? Because they're stuck, anchored to these false gods. I need to share this story of hope with them. Who is that? Identify that person. Take them out to coffee. Take them hunting. Sit in the woods. Maybe it's Iowa fans. I don't know. But anyway, let me pray. Let me close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we remember the incredible story from the fall to the manger, a story marked by our own rebellion and your unwavering plan of redemption. We confess that our human tendencies often lead us to misplaced hope and false gods of control, comfort, power, approval, only been met with disappointment. We lay bare our broken hearts before you. We want nothing more than to shift our hope from that which is temporary to that which is eternal. Help us anchor our hope in you, the one true God, who sent your Son to bring salvation and restoration to the lost and hopeless world. In this Advent season, we remember and expectantly hope that our hearts will be aligned with yours and we find true and lasting hope in you. Amen.